0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 31. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite
1: podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow
2: us on Twitter at codingblocks or on Facebook. Or head to www.codingblocks.net and you can find all our social links at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to
0: Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And with that, let's get into it. So, uh, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks since the last one. Went to some interesting meetups. Alan actually went with me on one of them, went to uh, the Meteor in gaming. What would you think of that?
2: Uh, actually, that one was really cool. I mean, if you haven't seen Meteor.js in action, uh, they, they kind of took it to the next level by having like a, uh, what would you call it, like a... a what were those old diamond games? I can't I can't where
0: you flip the Oh oh like a bejeweled, bejeweled game yeah. candy crush.
2: Yeah. So they took like a, a bejeweled type game and created one in what I think he said two weeks. It was it was, yeah, it was two
0: weeks. But you know, here was the thing that for me though that that was their bigger takeaway was just Meteor. Yeah. If you're not already playing around with Meteor JS, like this totally got me like I wish I had more time to focus on it because there's some other uh you know, libraries. I've been spending some time on, but Meteor is definitely on my list of things to do. So this is the reason why when you ask me, like, "Hey, Outlaw, how are you doing on your uh, your resolutions?" There, how's that? How's that Ruby coming along? Right? This is why I still haven't got it because there's so many other frameworks and libraries out there that are more interesting to me.
2: Yeah, he's got ADD. We all do. We're developers. It happens, right?
0: Yeah, but, but Meteor is on my list. It's basically like if you haven't seen this thing yet, it's like. How would you describe it? I would describe it as like maybe an NPM for a JavaScript framework. Like, is that fair? Well, know it, that's quite it, fair. It's
2: compared, people have compared it to what Rails is for Ruby. It is what, uh, Java or what, yeah, it's like the Rails for Ruby. It's that to Node. And so here's the cool part like, probably what blew Outlaw away and what blew me away when I first started playing with it is what's called DDP, their distributed data protocol. And, Basically, if you've heard of, um, I can never remember the name of this thing. Signal R. If you've ever heard of Signal R and all the real-time collaboration type stuff, this is the same type thing. Like you can do pub-sub type things, and you know your app updates, and everybody connected to it gets an update. So,
0: and it's so easy to do. I mean, that, that wasn't even the exciting part. I know that oh, PubSub really? was like the most thing. No, it was just the fact that, like, like I said the you know, having all the modules out there, mm. I
1: don't
0: I, I, there's still, I, I'm by no means a Meteor expert, but there's still a lot that I want to g- dig into. But it, it, it was that part that, like, uh, when we were talking later about, like, the login modules and, like, automatically, you know, be able to use your social... Uh, you know, plugins for OAuth and, and things like that. It was that kind of thing that I thought was just awesome.
2: Yeah, you could prototype an entire app in an incredibly short period of time. So, uh, it was definitely a cool meetup. They they covered a lot of neat stuff there. So that that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and then there and then there was the intro to Flux meetup too, which was really interesting too. Because so React has definitely been one of the things that I've been focusing more time on here lately in my infinite free time. And uh, you know, Flux is the what would you say architecture that they're using that that facebook is using to handle the um the m and the c portion of mvc maybe although they really say that flux is not an mvc pattern so that's kind of confusing i don't know what, what are your opinions on that
2: I actually have not looked into flux at all to this point I did. Uh,
0: but along those lines, Well, uh, you blinked and there's already like 24 derivatives of it. So that, well, you said that the guy <laughs> said that at the end of it, right? It uh, was ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not an old framework by any stretch, you know, but I mean, it's not, it also didn't just come out last month either in all fairness, but yeah, he, uh, the, the guy that was given the presentation at the end of the presentation mentioned that there was already, you know, uh, he, he listed at least a dozen different um, derivatives of it. And those were just the ones that he's actually taken the time to look at. There was more that he didn't bother.
2: Well, th- along that note, so I say that I haven't looked into it. Unfortunately, I kind of have, but it was confusing. So uh, I just recently bought WebStorm. And oh, in yes. there, they have a <laughs> uh, template pa- uh, starter thing for React but it comes bundled with flux and I was looking through the code and I couldn't figure out how any of it wired up. So I'm actually going to have to go out and do some tutorials to kind of pick up the pieces there. But, um, I, I am on the WebStorm bandwagon so because for is, 50
0: bucks, it's pretty good. This is kind of funny. I was going to bring this up as a joke because, uh, yeah, like what he's not telling you is I totally convinced him on that purchase though. Cause he was kind he of might've. like on the fence about like, oh, which way you go. And, you know, I've mentioned I'm such a huge fan of JetBrains products before, right? Uh, You know, there might have been one or two times that I've mentioned ReSharper. So if you would like to have that, but in a lighter weight client where you could, uh, you know, use some of that functionality on your JavaScript, then WebStorm can do awesome things for you. Well, but you want to know what actually sold
2: me on it besides just you? I mean, because you were a strong contributor to that. There was, so I was also looking at IntelliJ, which is, you know, I think 200, 250 bucks for a personal license. And I was almost willing to do that simply because it had a database plugin, because I really want to have something to be able to play with Postgres well. And if you've ever used PG admin three, it's, I mean, I hate being the person who just says something stinks, especially when it's free, but I cannot stand that piece of software. Um, but WebStorm does have a database plugin, and I haven't tried it yet. But I was like, you know what? I'll give this a shot. If it's if it's even halfway decent, it'll be as good as PG Admin. And so for fifty bucks, I have a great JavaScript slash you know framework uh, editor type thing, and I, I can get some additional functionality. So that's I mean, for fifty bucks, I mean I, I paid more for Sublime. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, I also feel like it's important to note too because <clears throat> the one thing that that you know your your mileage may vary, but for my personal taste, the one thing that does bug me about both IntelliJ and WebStorm is the color palette. To me, it's just not visually pleasing to the eye, uh, and I'm such a huge fan of the dark theme in Visual Studio. So I've mentioned this before. If you like the uh, JetBrains IDEs you should go to ideacolorthemes.org and they have several themes that other people have created that you can view and they these themes work for WebStorm and IntelliJ and there's some awesome themes out there that you can change, uh, you can play around with the colors because uh, you know, both IntelliJ and WebStorm have the Darkula theme, I believe is what they call it, but that doesn't quite compare, You know, isn't quite as nice as Visual Studio's but uh, I found some in there that after playing around with some, some of the ones that were in there, I found one that was close, really close enough for me. And then with some uh, of my own customizations on top of it, then it got better. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Hey, I also wanted to mention um, NaviCat is really nice. They have a Postgres product that I've used their um, MySQL. Um, product before, and I, I think for iOS it starts at 19.99, but you kind of have to buy features, so it ends up being kind of costly if you want to get everything. But wait, you said iOS? iOS? Yep. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, it might be iOS. OSX. I meant to say Mac, but uh, <laughs> okay. like the Windows is like 149, so it's it's pricey. I, but I think you mean that's 10.
2: So that's kind of what did it to me. Is there, I was like,
1: there is no OS X. Oh, okay,
0: OS
2: 10. Oh, yeah,
1: whatever.
2: <laughs> Anyways, um, so but no, so that was the one reason why I didn't grab Navicat because. They don't even give you a trial, if I remember, right? Maybe they do. But I was like, one hundred and fifty bucks, man. Like I can get a full blown version of SQL Server Developer Edition for fifty, right? Like it just killed me that I was paying that much for a free quote unquote database.
1: And actually, it, uh, I was right. It was iOS. There is a Mac version as well, which uh, starts at one forty nine. But yeah, iOS is only nineteen ninety nine. So, Wait a if second. you don't mind doing it on your phone, then go for it.
2: Well, I guess if you hooked up a Bluetooth keyboard to your iPad, that wouldn't be absolutely terrible. Hmm. I don't yeah, know. Only,
1: only mostly terrible.
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, maybe with the iPad Pro coming out, where it's going to be a bigger screen, it wouldn't be so horrible. The rumored. It's going to happen, man. I rumored. Don't know. It's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Whatever.
2: All right, so yeah, uh, I guess moving on from there, what we got next?
0: Yeah, so uh, and I finally remembered to go ahead and sign up for ConnectJS. I don't oh, know if you have or I have forgot. not, but if you are in the Atlanta area or are looking for an excuse to come to the Atlanta area, ConnectJS is happening October 16th and 17th. You can find out more information at connect-js.com. I'm looking forward to that one. There's going to be a lot of good uh, speeches there, Man, topics I'm, there. I
2: meant to sign up, and I completely forgot, which means I'd have to pay more if I do it now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <sighs> yeah, we'll see. It's probably not that much more. Yeah. So um, I wanted to mention something else. So it, it, probably most everybody who listens to this podcast, because you know it has .NET in the title, probably also
0: listens to this
2: other one, .NET Rocks. Well, what? Yeah. I've right? heard of that.
0: I, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were talking about the other podcast when you were saying that they listen to it because it has .NET it. And I was like, wait a minute, they probably listen to it because they like rocks. It's the other, other
2: podcast. If you, if you get that reference. Cool. All right. <laughs> so, um, well, I was listening to the latest episode and they had Julie Lerman on, Lerman on, and she is absolutely amazing. If you are on, Plur- or if you've ever been on Plural Site, she does almost all the top rated entity framework, uh, Uh, learning videos. And she is absolutely phenomenal. Like, just go check her out. Now, here's the crazy part. For whatever reason, she decided she wanted to jump in and start messing with Aurelia. And so, she's talking about it on there. And it it was interesting hearing somebody who is so well-known for producing like super quality content and basically feels like she knows everything, right? And so kind of the reason I want to bring this up. And is she's
0: like the Entity Framework goddess, She right?
2: is. She is, absolutely. She was like a fish out of water doing this stuff. And it was kind of cool to hear somebody because, I mean, we all deal with things daily that you're an expert at or, or if you're getting into things. I just wanted to bring this up because people say, how do you learn things? She actually goes off and has a long blurb where she's talking about how... You know, the very first thing she did is she would go and download these things and then start listening to the tut- or going through the tutorials to build the things because, you know, that's how you got the basis of what was going on. And then the next thing she'd do is she would run the debugger as she was stepping through this stuff so that she could see how it bounced around in the framework and how it hit all the things.
0: I feel like you're trying to skip ahead to my episode 30 survey results.
2: Oh, really? Oh, I, I forgot I about sorry. that. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So. So anyways, don't I don't go cheating, Joe. I, I did want to say cheating. though, it, I mean, the the episode is about, you know, her messing with Aurelia, but there are so many gems in there that she drops. And so it's okay for people that aren't comfortable with a particular technology to go pick it up. Like I mean, she she like he said, she's the goddess of entity Framework. And yeah, You know, it's really cool to hear somebody who is respected as well as she is to say, you know, I I hit so many walls trying to do this, but you know, it was her approach to doing it that I thought was really important. So I wanted to bring that up. It was a great episode. I would definitely go give that a listen and we'll have a link in the show notes.
0: Speaking of links, do you know of any new places where you might be able to find out or listen to us? Oh, yeah. What?
2: So we had a request. I don't even remember who did it at this point, but we, we had somebody complain that we weren't on SoundCloud. So because we want to make this as easy as possible for you guys to share to people and make it available everywhere. We, we have basically got us a SoundCloud account now, so you can head to www.soundcloud.com slash coding blocks. You can go to our site at www.codingblocks.net and just go to the top of the page and click the link, whatever you want to do. The point is we're now on SoundCloud. You can download on iOS, Android. You can listen directly on the web. Um, And please do, you know, subscribe to us there now, if, if that's your thing and, uh, you know, share. So uh, I am slowly catching up the backlog because it takes a lot of time to port everything over from you know one host to another. But we are now on SoundCloud. Are, are
1: you yeah, like sneaking? Nice. netting it to them or?
2: <laughs> Man, it is it is manual labor. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, the app looks really pretty too. It uh, it kind of shows the artwork in a cool way. So if you're listening to episodes, kind of just looks nice.
2: Yeah, I, I've been impressed with it, and you know, not everybody's on it, but. I, it's, it's one of those things like somebody asked for it. And because we can, we are like, you know what, we'll go ahead and make that happen. So, you know, we're, we're excited about it, but hopefully you guys are as well. So, um, I, I, the next thing I want to bring up and, uh, only Joe has responded to this email. Uh, and so I guess we're just going to respond to it publicly here was we got an email from Stephen Lopes asking about global, uh, variables and, when they're appropriate to use and he actually in his own email he went into it to an extent that i thought he did a pretty good job explaining how he would avoid doing a truly global variable so um i i'll chime in all my thoughts here so what he was talking about doing was i know that it's not a good idea to have a global variable and people who don't know why Really, the simple answer is you can't control it, right? If you have a global variable that everything can touch, then you have no idea what actually touched it, right? Like, unless you put in just crazy amounts of logging, and and that's just a really bad way of going about doing things. So, typically, what you want to do is if you do have global, you know, type variables that you need to maintain or whatever, he brought up Singleton, and, of course, outlaws over there just waiting, <laughs> waiting to cr- scream out at the top of his lungs to the world yeah. that, yes, this is how you do it. That is a great way to do it. Um, if you Oh, have, well, it's a one-way. Let's, it, let's say it's one-way. It, it's a great way. I, it, it, so you can either have that or you can have some sort of object that persists in memory elsewhere that, you know, things have access to. But, essentially, you do want to control it. You don't want to have just a variable out there. You want to control how
0: it gets set, how it gets you know? Did gets. you already say the example that he gave?
2: Uh, no, I didn't.
1: So,
0: so just so for everyone else's edification, he says that you know, let's assume that we have some sensor that reads the ambient temperature of the room, right? So there's only the one sensor, right? So that's where you know my giddiness about the singleton kind of came up, but you know, uh, jokingly because I know that that's become a thing now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we have yeah.
2: images to back it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so. Uh, you know, that, that, that's where it was coming from was that, you know, there's this one thing, right? So how do I, how do I share that thing without it being global? Right. Yeah. And Joe, what was it? I mean, you did
2: respond to him and what was your take?
1: Yeah, I did. And, uh, what I was kind of thinking uh, along the lines is basically, you know, globals are bad. Okay. If this is an interview, that's your answer. Um, but, you know, they're bad because they break encapsulation. It's not as future proof. And you can get around some of the problems of having all this plumbing code with um, dependency injection, which is like its whole own, uh, its whole, another big nightmare. But uh, what I finally ended up uh, responding with that was actually uh, just go ahead and do it as a global. <laughs> because <laughs> if this no. is something small and you have things yeah. to get done, the, the code's worst enemy is more code. So if you've got this nice little you know project that's doing its thing and it's working and it's using it global, then so what? You're done. It's wonderful. And if you need to make changes in the future, you can address it then. Joe so, is cray-cray.
2: He, he's yeah, off his I, rocker. Know, this is
1: not the right answer, but it totally <laughs> is. <laughs> that's
2: I don't like that advice. Joe. Like, did you
0: cringe a little bit when you, <laughs> you heard that answer coming from Joe? Like of all people. I know. Right. No, I, I would tell totally yeah, like if I did do.
1: this, it'd be like five interfaces and you know, it'd be like two months later. I'd, I'd stop talking about it. And three months later, I'd officially tell you that I stopped. <laughs> so I,
2: I, I guess here's my take. I, I completely agree. Overcomplicating code from the get will stop you from coding anything useful. Right? Like, your 300 interfaces in it and you haven't even gotten your hello world thing working yet.
0: There is something to be said about getting the the minimal viable product out there.
2: But I feel like even if you decided at worst case scenario to go singleton, at least then you have controlled the ins and outs. Whoa, whoa.
0: Why are you calling it the worst case?
2: Okay, sorry. I
0: don't... (laughs) Global was the worst. Global case. was the worst. Yeah. Singleton, singleton actually wasn't the worst case no. because then you could add some thread safety around you the could. usage of it. It's
2: it's fairly actually. I don't I, I i like the implementation of singleton there. Any anything that's going to have a global counter or or monitor or something, but I do not like the global. You just make it global. I, I can't stand that. Yeah, Joe, that, 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 part that made hurts me a, little a little. Crazy, Joe. I, <laughs> I was
0: like, what? You say global?
1: Uh, well, while you guys are trying to figure out what to name your silly little singleton, I'm <laughs> done and partying at the beach. So Dude, whatever. no, that's simple. I just call it the Global Singleton.
0: And then
2: all of a sudden, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you have two things like changing the temperature of this, and you can't figure out why it's ten degrees
0: off. Or, or better right, yet, you I just might just scroll call down the, a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe I should just call it the
1: Global Helper Util Singleton Library. <laughs> you know maybe that's a good rule of thumb if if your code is small enough to exist sanely in one file then it can be a global okay but that, once you start to well, have multiple files then it's too big
2: how long is that file <laughs> Uh, 500 lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we have these stipulations. So, yep. yeah, at any rate, hopefully that helps out a little bit. It was a great question, and I, it sounded like he had already thought about it quite a bit, but, you know, we wanted to address it here because uh, I think it's a good one.
1: Yep. Uh, also, uh, another email we got. Um, Wesley <laughs> Backer sent us a really nice link to a, a um, some design patterns that he had written up and had some really good examples of. Some ones that we talked about, and he had some... Really nice examples, but uh, the link is broken for me right now, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it just in case it's working by the time uh, we post the show notes, but uh, you guys should go check it out if you're interested in design patterns. And also, uh, he mentioned, uh, viewed state as an example of a Memento pattern, which was a good example we hadn't thought of. And, uh, I actually got a lot of flack for hating on the Memento pattern. So, uh, <laughs> since the airing of the episode, uh, I've gotten, uh, quite a few people mentioning to me, um, good uses of Memento patterns. So I'm sorry if I was down on them, please stop yelling at me. <laughs> are, are you back up now?
0: So yeah, are not- Mementos
1: are cool. I give up. <laughs>
0: so alan are you sure because it sounds like he's just doing it reluctantly yeah he's suddenly on board with the memento pattern but you know not because he chose to be yeah i don't know that we can
1: believe this (laughs) yeah no i'm gonna say i'm cool with it and then make little remarks about it for the rest of my life
2: (laughs) kind of like you do with javascript right
0: exactly like javascript
2: yeah that's gonna be great for this particular show ouch
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: crazy Oh, and by the way, guys, like, I see your tweets, you know, so so when you tweet these crazy tweets about, you know, when I don't like that we're going to tweet what we're going to do before we do it, uh, and you're not going to tell me, like, I see those, so in case you don't know what we're talking about, like, Alan last week was tweeting an email, like, yeah, no, we're totally going to email, meanwhile, he could barely talk at all. It was like, Alan, are you crazy? Like, why do you think we're going to record? So, yeah, I
2: was planning on recording last Wednesday, but Outlaw, so you know, nicely pointed out that I was swallowing a gallon of snot about every five seconds. Wow, thanks for... I wasn't <laughs>
0: going to bother to mention that part. So That was unnecessary.
2: While I technically could speak, it was going to be a rather...
0: It was brutal for me to listen to. It was
2: going to be a tasty-sounding episode, so we decided Whoa, to skip that's it. that's
0: a crazy <laughs> adjective to throw in there.
2: So, yeah, while I may not sound 100% now, at least I'm not constantly, uh, you know, swallowing phlegm,
0: so... Oh, it's... it's this is... So much better than last week.
2: This is sexy Allen voice. Good, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I want to mention the reviews, but first, I, I just realized we never actually mentioned what the topic was, but I promise we're getting to one. Maybe. Uh, okay, maybe. Get it? Haha. Uh-huh. Um, all <laughs> oh, right, <nice>. so. <laughs> I, pr- I promise at some point we will discuss what it's about. Yes. Yep. But not yet. <laughs> uh, so, first, big thanks to uh, all the reviews we got. We got a ton of reviews this time, so we really appreciate it. You um, guys have been awesome. Yeah, yep. bo-
2: both on iTunes and
1: Stitcher's Fantastic. Yep. So, I'm going to blast through these because um, they're awesome. Uh, JMM Zen, OJ Hawkins, Jay Canero, Beach and Bites, GBD77RC, Sparkster314159, Holla, Mike Levery. Uh We've got 714. Servant 14, sorry, Thread Sleep and Adidia's Ricomar. Yeah. The, so I apologize you, for butchering all of this. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Like that,
0: that that was awesome to see that we got that many new reviews that came in uh between you know the last episode and this one. But you know, hey, for all you people on Reddit, we see you too. All right. So I happen to notice that uh you know, we haven't discussed this before, but there are some uh, we've been getting some love on Reddit, so I wanted to give you know shout-out to Death Row, uh, Tom5171, JamesXV7, and a special one out to CoderHawk and Jesse2014 uh, for some of the, the, the love we've gotten on Reddit. Big thanks to that. We really appreciate it, guys. Uh, and then also, we haven't forgotten about you, Stack Overflow, specifically you, Andy Joiner yeah you we got some love there too and we greatly appreciate it so thanks for uh, spreading the word we really do appreciate it
2: yeah and he's been with us since near the beginning which is just awesome so yeah huge thanks so uh, for that
0: so that that uh takes me to what I mentioned uh you know kind of hinted out a little bit before which was you know we had the survey in episode 30. And uh, you guys haven't cheated, right? Let me I gotta I gotta see Joe's face, make sure that guy hasn't been cheating here. I yet. have not cheated on the um, survey today. I have noticed Notice not how looked. he's like hiding behind the pop filter there. Like <laughs> I'm not so sure that, that counts. Okay, so the the question was, are you better off spending more time learning specific frameworks or the underlying technologies?
2: I think Outlaw
0: Lost. The first <laughs> answer was well frameworks I'll dive into frameworks I'll dive into the underlying as needed or the second answer answer the yeah. underlying technologies you got to walk before you can run blah now i feel like last last question. episode last episode i think i was the only one that was saying no you got you got to start with the underlying technology Boo. right i think like both of you guys were in the framework camp but Let's just play the game, anyways. Who wants to give me a guess as to what they think the percentage was? Let's start with you, Alan. Wh- which one do you think won, and what, you know, give me a number.
2: I, I feel like you're all over there, all giddy to to, to hmm. kill this one. <laughs> so I'm going to say that you won with the language 60-40. 60
0: 40. 60% underlying. And
2: yeah. 40% yeah. on the framework side. Although I think that's crazy talk.
1: Okay. What about <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Joe? Well, since you this is a coding podcast, I'm going to say that we uh, cater to and have more voters that are kind of uh, engineering-minded. So I will say that uh, only 60% got it correct, and the other 40 um, chose to run before you can walk. Or walk yeah, but what's you
0: your run. 60% then?
1: Uh, oh, it's uh, the framework one, of course.
0: Oh, oh so, okay. Okay. So, you yeah. guys, just just to make sure we're on the same page, Joe is saying 60% voted for frameworks, and Alan is saying 60% voted for underlying technologies. Yes. yes. All right. Well, here's the answer 64.2% voted for frameworks. <laughs> I'll dive into the underlying as the.
2: Yeah, baby. That means
0: <laughs> that only just under 36% of our audience is correct <laughs> in that it's the underlying technologies Well,
2: will see here's the thing people that go learn languages just want to learn things people that go use frameworks want to get things done
0: so I thought that th- when you were mentioning uh, Julie Lerman early I thought that this was like a segue that you were going to use to mention this one because you were talking about her uh, diving into new technologies and you know stepping through the debugger and whatnot but I still like. That's just. <laughs> I'm glad
2: yes. that I was wrong about what the percentages were, <laughs> because I feel like now I I have, I have a great respect for our audience that we are that we are ga- we're starting to learn about through our surveys. So
0: I will I will say this, I still say I was right, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> so maybe I'll say two things, um, and the second one being that you know a friend had mentioned well you know he cuz he kind of put some context around it like like if you have to, if you're doing this for like this is if this is on the job training right like you you got to get something accomplished right then you know diving into the frameworks is you know what you're going to do and it's kind of like okay fine i'll take that answer you know given <laughs> that context cuz i was thinking of it more like you know hey i would like to learn you know, whatever, right? Like Angular. You're not going to jump into Angular if you don't already have some JavaScript experience, right? Like, you're going to need to know some JavaScript before I you dis- jump into I disagree.
2: Angular. You go look at a tutorial. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you my frame of mind. You can't disagree with what my frame of mind was at the time. I'm telling you where I was coming from, the place that I was in, and I still say that I was right. In 36% of our audience, I'm rounding that up was is with me and also correct in that you gotta you gotta walk before you run there with the underlying technologies. Uh, So crazy people.
2: Yep. I'm glad that everybody made the right decision. Or most everybody. uh
1: Speaking of polls, we didn't come up with one for this episode, so I guess you're just going to have to uh, head to slash episode 31 to find out what it is.
2: Yeah, this one's going to be a surprise. And I'm putting this one together, so I have no idea what it's going to be.
1: Well, you know, (laughs) you mentioned uh, I corrected you on the
0: OS X earlier because that's also been one that's come up before. A few times. Just recently, too, it was one of the Microsoft presentations that they did. Maybe it was build-related. I don't forget when. And and oh maybe it was for the OS 10 or uh, Windows 10 announcement, and uh, they they kept referring to it as OS X, and I'm like it's OS 10, OS 10. It's even you could go to the Wikipedia page. It's OS 10. Apple doesn't call it OS X.
2: Why wouldn't they just write the number 10 then? Are they are they too cool? Are they a roaming company? Were, were, were they were they born in Greece
0: or Rome? Or this is just good marketing right here. <laughs> that's that's what that is. Because previously, hey hey, previously they did write the numbers See? until it got a ten, and then they switched to the Roman numeral. They one.
2: said X looks cooler.
0: It do, and you got to give them credit. It does. Yeah,
2: whatever. It's OSX. All right, whatever. so. <laughs> It's right. OS
0: 10. Maybe that should be the survey. How do you pronounce it? Is it OS X or OS 10?
2: I don't know. I might do that. Because Wikipedia
0: is on my side.
2: If I can't come up with anything relevant to do a survey about, then I will do that one
0: for sure. Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm just saying.
2: All right. So Look now it, it's, it, it is now time to jump into this I'm, particular episode's meat and potatoes. I promise. Yes, he promises. It's OS 10. So what we we're talking about today is JavaScript promises. And before we get into a ton of it, I just, first, I want to say, like, this is a fairly big deal. I think it's it's planned on being baked into ES or script 6, and here's the deal. There are a ton of libraries out there that deal with this kind of stuff. There's Bluebird, ES6, Promise Polyfill, jQuery, which is not strictly to the standard uh, Q, or it's yeah, KEW. Q. And oh, then, that one. Yeah. Sorry. And then which, there's,
1: yeah, suspiciously pronounced like the Q library.
2: Yeah. And then there's LIE. Uh There's the Q library, which is the letter Q. And Angular actually uses a, a smaller version of that. And then there's RSVP. Now, of all these, RSVP, I think... Uh, actually, no, no. It's the ES6 Promise polyfill one. That is basically a subset of the RSVP that very closely resembles the ecma 6 specs so that's kind of what we took for this particular episode but here's the cool thing right like you used to back in the day when you talk about a hey, well, JavaScript go ahead should
0: also clear up to you, you keep calling xma 6 but it's, they've changed the name now to 2015 okay whatever <laughs> so just saying all
2: right so um here's here's one of the things like you know maybe just even a couple years ago if we were talking about javascript promises or anything javascript typically you're thinking about front end type code right so just keep in mind when we're talking about this now we're talking about it could be server side it could be client side you know if it's if it's a node type thing then that could be server side if it was you know any one of these 5000 javascript framework libraries out there then it could be client side but these things, a lot of these libraries can actually be included server side or client side. So, just just something to be aware of. Um, and so, I guess first, what what the heck Are is it? Trying right? to
0: sum that up as say, as isomorphic.
2: It is isomorphic. You can have the same language both server right. and client side, right? Now, so what what, what is Ooh. a promise? Why does it matter? Right. I
1: have I have um, two one word answers to those two questions. Okay. Um, And they're not very good answers, but I want to say them anyway. (laughs) So um, what are promises dot then.
2: That's that's pretty good.
1: And oh, crap. And my second answer is not it's not one word. But why do (laughs) they matter? The answer. My answer is one inch because that's about how much screens (laughs) screen uh, share. It saves you.
2: Interesting take on it. That's I, not I, true. I
1: had, a, I had a different <laughs> answer,
0: and that was that it tries to solve the callback hell problem by introducing callback hell.
2: Yeah, we, so <laughs> I've actually heard of other people <laughs> I've heard other people refer to it um as the uh, pyramid of of uh, the the pyramid of callback. Uh, Doom or something, right? I like that. Yeah, yeah. Because as you get your callbacks, your code just literally starts, like to what Joe said, starts incrementing like an inch. So what he said was an inch could turn into thirty <laughs> fairly quick. But so, so to to get back to the serious thing is promises have a venable approach so that if you have an async request, basically instead of having a callback that that has a bunch of logic in it you just say dot then. Hey, when this async request is finished, then run this. Otherwise, if there was an error, do this. So, the really interesting part about this is if you've worked with any asynchronous JavaScript before, the way that you would typically do things is, let's say that you had three async calls and each one of them depended on the previous one, you would basically have async call one with a callback and then inside that, you would basically have an async call two, then with a callback that's now indented over some more, and then an async three with its own callback. Now, there are some pitfalls to this. We just mentioned one, which is just your code becomes unwieldy, right? Like there's so much nested code that to follow it is fairly disgusting.
0: I mean, to answer your question in seriousness, though, about what they are, why they matter, I, you. I would put that in this, that they they provide a, a usefulness for async programming. I mean that yes, that's that's what it's for. That'd be a much better you know way to sum that up as to like you know what they're doing. So yeah, and actually, or, or why you might want them.
1: Yeah, and I also want to mention uh, one one of my favorite things about it is that it bubbles up exceptions really nicely. Yes. which is something that callbacks have a real big problem with. You know, a problem has uh, happens in one of them. And you've got to kind of, you know, funnel the scrap out. But with the the dot then dot then dot fail syntax, then if any one of those fail, it just kind of gets bubbled up like normal synchronous exception handling.
2: Yeah, it's like wrapping a huge try catch around all your async calls as opposed to when you have the nested callbacks, you have to handle it on each level.
0: (laughs) That was another thing that I actually wrote in my notes about like (laughs) when I was describing promises to myself is that it's like try catch on crack. That's what it is. It's very, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's like, it's like, because, it, okay, so let's take, let's take um, an example, right? Like if you were going to read some image off of a remote server, right? And you wanted to do it uh, safely, right? You might do that inside of a try and then have a catch handler for it, right? And, and this is where Alan's dot then dot fail comes in. Cause with a promise, right? You could have the dot then, then uh,
2: it's actually not dot fail though.
0: Well, okay. It's dot then comma and then the failure, right? So, yes. Right. Okay. But but, um. Right. If you were gonna, pass, could you pass in like a a, what is that? a success and a, a fulfill and a reject method, right, yep. or a callback, and and one of them can handle the success portion of it, which would be in your try, and the other portion could handle if there's a failure, which is your catch portion. But then you start chaining these things together. Dot then dot then dot then dot then, dot then. and that's when I was thinking like of this as being on crack because you know, the alternative would be nested tries. Yes. You know, which could get going back to your pyramid scheme, right. Of try catches would be crazy.
2: Yeah. It can get really ugly. And one of, so one of the interesting things is, and we have an article we're going to link to in the show notes, because it's one of the best I saw when we were looking at this, but like the approach they took was, let's say that you have a book, Right. Um, and then that book has chapters and then that chap, those chapters have content. So as you're doing this, so you're going to load your book first because that's one async call. Now you're going to load your chapter list. That's another async call. Then you're going to load the content of those chapters. That's another async call. Well, the problem is. Like, in the past, like I said, you would typically just start nesting these callbacks. After the first one finishes, all right, now do a callback and run the next async request. Here's
0: an event listener for this action.
2: Yeah, and it just keeps growing. So, like, let's say that at that point, let's say that if you wanted to take it even a step further, that'd be crazier. And instead of loading all the content for that chapter, say maybe you load three pages at a time so that you didn't get a huge chapter that blew everything out, now you're going to have even more nested. The promises allow you to say load chapter or load book dot then load chapter dot then load content dot then load uh, pages, you know, whatever. And then at the end of all that, if you wanted to, you could put off your catch and say dot catch and then put your error handling in there. And if any one of those previous async calls failed, it would all get handled in that catch. And then it would all basically have a fail, right? And then you can figure out what you wanna do from there.
1: Yep, and you know what's funny to me is that uh, wh- looking at this, um, it's really discernible. Like when you see dot then, dot then, dot then you know you're dealing with promises. But what's really funny to me is it. it really does make this asynchronous code look synchronous. It looks like you're blocking on a thread. You know, like prompt the user. When that's done, run the web service. When that's done, populate the UI with the, the response. And so it's really masking over a lot of complexity. But what's funny is it really is kind of simplifying things and making it act like you're just dealing with a synchronous program. So let's ask the question then, why is it so hot now?
2: I think because JavaScript has gotten to the point where it's so pervasive in everything, right? Like back in the day, you know, before all these frameworks got really hot, you know, there were a handful of us out there using Ajax calls and all that, and you just dealt with with what you did because single page applications weren't all the, all the norm back then, right? Like you might have one or two calls on a page. Nowadays, like everything on your page is asynchronously grabbed, right? Like you only get the data that you need. And so now it's a big deal. And so I think that's probably what it is. That'd be my guess. And then also, now you're not just doing it client side, now you're doing it server side. And when you have a bunch of server side code, like think about database inserts, right? Like let's just take that for example. If if you are sending up a bunch of data that has to insert a person and then insert their favorite books and then insert, you know, you know, different sections, you all have all these, you know, after this happens then do this, then do this, then do this, and it becomes really a pain to read and track. So Yeah,
1: that I, I totally agree with you. I really think this is all nodes' fault, why it's so popular. Because <laughs> the deal is you know we've got all this really cool non-blocking async stuff going on in the server, uh, but uh, that's not going to work for me. I need to get the stuff from the database. I need to do some stuff with it, and then I need to return it. And so I think uh, you know people were working a lot more with Node, and they're doing this stuff with callbacks, which is uh, a nightmare. Node?
0: I thought he said notes. No, no, yeah, no. And yeah. I was, yeah. I was like, wait a minute, like Lotus Notes? No, you're <laughs> blaming. Yeah, you're, so I actually
1: you're giving Lotus Notes credit for JavaScript promises or not. for
2: anything. That's.
0: <laughs> So I actually have a little
1: chain here in my notes where basically why are promises uh, in JS such a big deal? And it's because of callbacks. So why are, you know, why do we even have callbacks in JavaScript? And basically uh, I think it's because there's such a, you know, asynchronous heavy UI model that's, you know, where the language came from. So.
2: Yeah and I so I don't I think we might have put this further down. I can't even remember how we have this organized right now. But what one of the things to note and I don't think we wrote this anywhere is when you do these promises it's deferreds that you're dealing with. So it mm. it, it so the thing is when you have a dot then dot then dot then dot
0: then then it's returning something back. I don't want to get confused with let's let's not let's not call it deferreds, if you don't mind, because what I don't want to get confused with specifically is jQuery's implementation because jQuery is different is not the standard, uh, ECMA. But
2: promises actually have deferred. It is deferred. It's called okay. the same thing.
0: Uh, but but there's also like you know a lot of the documentation you're going to read just talk about it as an. An eventual result,
2: and and so that's the key is what I wanted to get at. So, what you see, what Joe mentioned a minute ago, where it all looks like it's truly synchronous, what's happening is you are returning back what is called literally a promise, a promise that it's going to either be fulfilled, rejected. Is that that's pretty much it, right? it right? No, there's there, there's or it there's can be abandoned. Four
0: states: there's fulfilled, rejected, pending, and settled. Okay. Right. Are the states so? Before we get into some of that, you know, the implementation gory details of it, though, let me let me just say with like, you know, we got a lot of love from you guys in reviews in the last uh, after the last episode, and we really really appreciate that. And if you're new to listening to the show and you haven't already uh, put up a review on either Stitcher or iTunes or Reddit or wherever. We would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time and, you know, uh, you know, put, put that review out there. We really appreciate it. It goes a long way to help us out in uh, new people finding us and we, we really do appreciate it and tell a friend, you know, share, share their friend, share the show with a friend or 14, you know, <laughs> pick your number of choice. So, you know, I just threw out 14. I think that's a
1: good recommendation. And speaking of helping us out, this episode is sponsored by Infragistics. Great apps happen by design. Build your application right from the start with rapid prototyping, UI controls, and the support you need to develop the ultimate experience. So head over to Infragistics.com and download your free trial. All
0: right, so now we can get into the implementation details.
2: Let's do so, it.
0: So, <clears throat> you know, we mentioned the the four... States of it. But what we haven't really said here that I think is like one very key thing that when we, you know, when I jokingly referred to it as callback hell or, uh, you know, try catch on crack, one huge difference, like why you should care about promises is that they do have state, right? Because that's huge. So right. I mentioned that there's four, four states, fulfilled, rejected, pending, and settled, right? Now, if a promise has already been fulfilled or rejected no matter how or when you call it again later, it's going to give back the same result. Right. Right. It's not re executing that code. It's just returning back the same value that it returned back the first time. Right. Which is a huge difference. Yep.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's major. (laughs) (laughs) What, what were you waiting for me to uh, to
1: uh uh well i was <laughs> i wish i took a screenshot of your face like you were looking at me like you know like what do you think about that huh i don't i don't know
2: <laughs> no i mean that that's absolutely true because in a callback you just you'd basically re-execute it right with this because of what he said right there if you try and execute it again quote unquote it's not going to do anything it's just going to give you back what you already had so yeah that's 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 a a big differentiator right there um, but you said there was another piece, right? As as far as the state, like, or was that that pretty much where you are going with that one?
0: Um, uh, no, I thought I pretty much. Oh, okay. there was the yeah. four pieces, yeah. the four the four states that it could be in. Is that what you mean?
2: No, so I guess so. Where I was going with this earlier to stack on top of that, because I didn't even I wasn't even going to say that, was the fact that when you have these things that look all synchronous, they look synchronous, but really what's happening is it blew through all that code. Now you basically have a bunch of things that are in some sort of probably pending state until it comes back and is either accepted or rejected. And here's the cool thing. So when you chain together these .then, 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 what you're returning back is you're returning back a promise from each one of those things. So basically this is promise.then. That now is the promise that the next .then is going to rely on. And those don't actually do anything until the state changes on it to resolved or, or settled where it was either rejected or, um, what was it, fulfilled or accepted? I can't remember.
0: Fulfilled, rejected, pending, and settled.
2: Okay, so fulfilled. So once that happens, then it says, all right, let me look at the next venable function that's there and let me run that. Now, one thing that we kind of glossed over a little while ago that is kind of an interesting piece of this is... When you have a dot then, and let's just say you have a dot then, then your function, a dot then, then a function, dot then function, and then dot catch. Basically, what's going to happen is any one of those three async calls that that led up to that dot catch, any one of those fails, it's going to skip the rest of those dot thens and go straight to the catch, and then you're going to handle that error. Now, another way you can handle it is every thenable function, you can also pass in a function to handle the rejection so you can have dot then your function typically an anonymous function I mean you see that a lot you could pass it anything but if you have comma and then another function that is an error handling function now the interesting part about this is when you have an async dot then and then comma else really for the error, only one of those two gets called if that async function failed before the dot then, then only the error function is called. If the async function succeeded, then the dot then's called and the error function is never called, it skips it. If you, however, if you do this with the catch, the success function may still run before the dot catch hits. It's it's really kind of weird how it all works out Um, and again, in the show notes, we are going to put a link up to this other thing where the guy actually has a nice flow diagram that, you know, will probably take you 20 minutes to read through. There
0: were several, like, I mean, just, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of links in the resources that we liked for this episode, because when I was doing some research on this, there was one of the articles that I read, uh, the, the author basically took the approach of, you know, what if we had to create, what if you had to create promises, How would you create it? Uh, Right. Nice. And he starts walking in down like, here's what we, here's what will be required. Right. And here's the next thing that'd be required. And then there was another one that was just, um, uh, one of the presentations that was given at, uh, the JS conf in Europe. And, um, it, he gave a great overview of the, uh, of promises going from like, well, why is this a thing? So like, there's going to be some awesome links. Uh, that we'll include in that. but
2: Very cool. Um, so here's another thing about promises that I really like. And this is something that I've dealt with for years in callbacks. It's a little frustrating. So let's say that you have a page that you can't display anything on until three requests finish, right? The way that you would typically handle this back in the days of callbacks is you'd have some sort of variable that a function would manage that was basically a counter to say, okay, how many of these succeeded? I have these three methods, right? When callback one hits and that's done, then I'm going to increment the counter. When the counter gets to three, everything's good. All right, let me continue on my way, right? Is that a global variable counter? That's no, it, it would be encapsulated. Is that a singleton counter? No, no. It could be a singleton <laughs> i don't think i would use a global but
1: you know why why you got to say the the old days i I did this like last week (laughs) Uh,
2: actually you know you know what's funny about that you're true depending on the type of library you're using if they're not using promises and all they have are callbacks you're pretty much stuck unless you bring in a third-party promise library to where you can handle this kind of thing but but i digress um now, what's really cool with promises, though, they have this thing to where you can parallelize a number of calls so that, hey, my three calls, you can basically just say, hey, do this. And I think it's, uh, what is it, promise.all? Where, where is it? Yeah, oh, it that all. Just dot all. Yeah, yeah, dot all. And that's absolutely amazing. So if you have 20 things that have to complete before you move on about your way, you say, you know, promises.all once this is done, then do this next thing. And you don't have to try and stitch these things together yourself, right? That's, that's amazing. Like, I love that.
0: You know, one thing that I, I failed to mention, though, when I mentioned the different states of it and the fact that it's awesome that it's, uh, you know, the, that because these promises have state and if you were to try to call that value later or multiple times, Uh, And you're going to get the same thing. What I didn't mention when I was describing that is that that's immutable. Ah, yeah. So so actually, that state, um, that value and state aren't going to change.
1: Which is uh, good and bad. Um, Some of the cons actually for promises that I was reading about is that uh, it's not so good for recurring type tasks. Like if you're doing some sort of polling or streaming, then because it's immutable, you have to be doing this kind of weird you know, creating of promises and have a little promise factory shooting these things off and collecting them.
2: Huh? Yeah, that's true. Because otherwise you get the same result back every time. Yeah. That, that's. Yep.
1: And some other negatives I saw were that basically the, this new spec, even though some of the libraries have support for it, but the new spec, uh, yes, 16 or 20 or 2015 or six, sorry. Uh, there's no way to cancel it. And there's no sort of like progress indicator. Like, so if you knew how long a task is going to take, there's just sort of, um, you know, support in the language spec to be able to say like, Hey, how far along am I? Interesting. Yeah. Not the end of the world.
2: No, but I mean, it's important when you're thinking about, you know, using these things to build your next application. That's, that's definitely something valid to think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Going back to that, uh, that, that video from the JS in, uh, it was, it was a, it was the 2013 JS conf, um, Europe presentation and it was uh man, I hope I, I don't butcher this name, but Forbes Lindsay that gave the presentation. But he gave what I thought were four really awesome values of promises uh in that presentation that that were why these are you know a thing, why 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 you should care to try out promises if you haven't already, right? And one is that it, it works with the con- the primitive control flow, right? Or the control pro- control flow primitives, right? You you don't have to do anything there to make that happen. You you can already work with it, right? So you have some you know, you want to use it in a for each loop, and it can it can do it on its own, right? And it can handle the errors or let them bubble up properly, right? That was one example that Joe already mentioned, one of the things that he liked about it. And then it doesn't conflate the input with the output, right? When you're when you're dealing with your promises right your 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 code is really clean, and it's keeping like one thing that i I really um kind of thought about this was if we go back to solid right, or even if you have any um, familiarity or experience with doing aspect oriented programming, that's kind of what promises felt like to me too was that it was keeping the business logic of your methods more clean, right yeah, you're not dealing with a lot of try catch kind of boilerplate crap, right? You have a method that's your error handler, you have a method that's your business logic, and and your promise allows you to keep those two clean, right? And then the fourth value that uh, he pointed out in this presentation was that your code looks like async code. Yeah. For someone who has never seen this code, has no idea what the app does, and they just walk up to it, they can immediately look at this code and say, oh, yeah, that looks like asynchronous code, just because of all the dot thens that might... You know, be chained together and i think joe mentioned
1: that too it's like one of the things that he liked about it so um what about other languages uh did a little bit of research uh, because usually when you hear the word promises the person's usually talking about javascript um that or maybe c++ because they're getting some support for that soon but uh, actually um most languages i looked at had something that took the place of it c sharp had tasks java had um they, they've got features and proposes kind of coming along in more recent versions. Um, although you're able to do stuff like that in Scala or just kind of build it in yourself for a long time, C+ Python, pretty much everyone's got support for it. But uh, a lot of times these other languages have things uh, like built in or just slightly different from um, JavaScript. Like I, I'm more familiar with dotnet. so I'm used to it having things like cancellation built in and um, it's kind of cool. It, it like actually returns what they call a task. So you can start the task now, you can start it later, you can serialize, you know, serialize re-serialize, and then start it. You can do all sorts of weird stuff with it. That um, is kind of cool, and it works with generics, which I really like, and um, what's also interesting about the task is that it's actually built into the library uh, for C Sharp, or the, um, the .NET framework, and so, Promises more co- of a convention, depending on the framework you're using, you're going to do some Googling to figure out exactly how they work. And I like with tasks, like it's literally, you know, well, the task object. you're using ES6 there, right? Because then it's in this ES6 specification. Yeah, whenever that uh, is supported by IE8, just let me know. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> well, that's why you use a polyfill or one
1: of these
0: other
2: libraries, right? I'm
1: not doing any of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, a- and for it's those not looking
2: of you good for ES6 for uh, IE8, anybody that's heard the word polyfill and has no idea what they're talking about, there's basically tons of little libraries out there written to fill in the gaps of things like IE8 or these older browsers that keep hanging around for
0: whatever reason. So that's what a polyfill is. Yeah, you know, when we were talking about other libraries, though, that this was included in, one that you uh, you, you left off there was uh, ext.js. Well,
2: that's in the newest version, right? Version
0: 6, It uh, it is ES6. It, it complies to the ES6 spec, so.
2: Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. You know the thing that's kind of crazy about that, and I, I, I'll never understand why the the powers that be only include certain things. So, like, RSVP is one of the more popular... Yeah,
0: that and Q are really popular.
2: Yeah, and they left off some of the functionality that that those libraries add to the table. And it's like, well, why didn't you just implement... Wait, who's they? The ECMA 6 board that decides what goes
0: in there. The standards body.
2: Yeah, the standards body. Like, I, I don't understand why they're like, yeah, that one just doesn't really matter as much. You know what I'm saying? Like, why not take the ones that people have decided that they really like and need and just... Say hey, this is it. You know, it's not like it's that more difficult for these browsers to keep up with them.
0: So, well, I guess this is what happens when you're like you know, decision by committee. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: a good point.
1: <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah, we I don't start need a that. committee for something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but,
0: you know, <laughs> as you were talking about promises in other languages, though, like, you know, you mentioned tasks in C sharp, and I, okay, guess that's kind of not really close. Totally, kind of close. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it really, there really is some awesomeness to it, though, that, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, you know, the fact that it it does have that aspect type kind of feel to it, right, where it's like really keeping the business logic of your methods clean. I really appreciate.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that is something that you miss out with on C sharp. The syntax doesn't. You know, it doesn't look as pretty as the promises do in JavaScript for a variety of reasons, but it's not terrible. You know, and for a static language, it's about what I expect. But promises in JavaScript is really beautiful. And I think a lot of times that's why when people talk about promises, they talk about JavaScript. It just works really nicely with the first class uh, functions and also closures. It just works really well in that environment.
0: Now you heard it here, right? Yeah. He, Joe just referred to something about JavaScript. Beautiful. As beautiful I know. I don't. I, right. I think he said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the weather down there must be getting to him. I think
1: he's got like too much sun. Are you wearing a hat or some sunscreen? No, I had a hair incident and now my head is really shiny and it's hurting my eyes and giving me a headache and <laughs> making me think that I like JavaScript.
2: You, you want to know one of the frustrating things? I, when I was doing this, like I actually spent some time, I was going to put together some cool examples and I was like, you know what? It would be cool to make something that's not just a contrived example, right? Like, what if I go pull from Amazon or, you know, maybe get a list of things and then get some reviews? And then I was like, man, this is really a pain in the butt because now I got to generate some keys. I got to, you know, I got to set up a bunch of server side oh, garbage. Yeah, if you want to do, do anything this.
0: AWS? Yeah.
2: AWS is like, and I, <laughs> I very much appreciate it. That's why
0: you should use JAWS.
2: this is a real library the
0: the javascript for aws library
2: oh man so here's the thing right like so you start looking at some of their examples they're like well here's a tool a utility to generate some keys but here's the problem people you can't expose any of that stuff client side because then everybody's going to steal your information anyways. So you have to like everything, everything I looked at that I was like, well, I could do this example. And then I'm like, well, I got to go set up some keys. And so things and some private and some shared. And then it's like, oh God, now I got to do a full blown implementation. And I, it, it, it just wears you down. So, you know, I really wanted to put together some nice you know, real life type stuff, but it is actually fairly involved. Like you start getting into writing an app when you just try to demonstrate this. And that's why almost every article you see out there is say, Hey, imagine you have this book, right? <laughs> and then imagine you have these chapters. And that's why everything is like that because it's just, it's frustrating.
0: Just in case, if anyone should be, uh, some curiosity should be sparked about that Jaws. Uh, comment that I made, it's the Jaws stack. So if you were to go to github.com slash Jaws dash stack slash Jaws, you can find it there. Yep. The serverless stack.
2: <laughs> it's so, man everything requires a server. And I was like, you know what? I can do it in node. But then it's like, man, I want to set up a node and do all that. Cause then I'm going to have to decide whether I want to use express JS or whether I want to try to do it in meteor or maybe it, th- this is the kind of stuff that runs through my head. Every time I go to do like a little tiny project like that. And it's like, and then by the end of it, you're just worn out thinking about it. And then you're like, I can't code anything.
1: Yep. So <laughs> keep things simple and use globals.
2: <laughs> I think that was the answer that, that
0: right there is the answer. Well, I mean, he mentioned the global counter, so I feel like that's fair. Yeah, boom. I think he needs to go back and change his answer from above.
1: <laughs> All right, awesome. So uh, that's uh, about it for this topic. So to recap really quickly, um, uh, promises provide really nice uh, quote-then-unquote syntax that provides simple-looking syntax for asynchronous code, and it handles exceptions very nicely, and that's a big deal for JavaScript because async programming I didn't say sucks. Uh, (laughs) It just just is. And uh, because JavaScript is winning at everything.
2: But I got to say, though, this is completely off topic for promises. Async programming is a little bit hard to just talk about or wrap your head around. I guess from an implementation standpoint, because we've talked about doing an episode on it, right? And we probably will eventually. But one of the things that I just really love about it is you can get so much more out of doing something asynchronously. Like I remember taking a, a problem that we had where something was taking hours to do and I reduced it to like two minutes using async programming, right? Oh right. Yeah, and, and there's there's very little in what we oh, do yeah. that is as exciting as getting like, you know, twenty thousand percent
0: returns on your on your effort. You know, so it'll definitely make you giddy if you've never done it before. And then all of a sudden you start paralyzing some stuff.
2: Yeah. And then you're like, oh, man. And then you start trying to paralyze everything. And that's a problem. <laughs> so,
0: so I mentioned earlier that, you know, there was going to be like a ton of resources that we like links in here. And just looking at our list here collectively between the three of us, there's maybe 11 or so different links. So here's the deal. In our show notes, we're going to have we're going to include all of this, and it's you know going to be a lot of information. But you you can also from within your podcast app, um, you you can view these show notes. I know within the iOS app, you just simply uh, click on the um, the quote album art uh, for the episode within the iOS podcast player, and then that'll flip over to the shows metadata and you can see all the show notes there other podcast players have similar um type functionality like on android for example to get to all that so these links are going to be available for you whether you're at your computer visiting codingblocks.net or if you're just simply uh you know browsing around or listening on your phone and want to browse around while you listen that information will be available
2: and if they're not clickable you need a different podcast app Wow! Just saying. Ouch! <laughs> All right. Uh, so they're clickable on iOS. Th- there are actually they're clickable in Pocket Cast as well, which is what I use on Android, and I love that app. Um, so now it's time for our tips of the week. Week, yeah, <laughs> definitely week. All right. So, man, I I don't even I stumbled across this recently. I just thought it was so cool. So back All in the right. day. If you had a bunch of XML and you wanted to turn this into C sharp classes what you would do is there was like this xsd dot dot exe or something that you could download and it would you know turn through your XML and spit out these these C sharp classes you no longer need a third-party utility if you are in Visual Studio 20 what are we 13 or probably above I know for certain this works in 2013 if you go to... Oh, the, you didn't try this in older versions? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, sorry. It might be in 2012 as well. I think it is. I think that's where I first saw it. Let's that, just say
0: that you should try this regardless of what version you're in. And yeah. Let us know if it doesn't work in your version.
2: Yeah, so either XML or JSON. Take either one. Copy it. Go into Visual Studio. Go to your edit menu and go down to Paste Special. And there, there will be two options there. One for Paste XML as classes or paste json as classes and what you will get is so beautiful it will actually inspect either your json or your xml and it will create a c-sharp class with all the serializable tags and everything on it already so that you can quickly take some output from something and map it to an object and it is absolutely phenomenal it works well so um didn't know that existed Uh, You know, I would definitely try that out, if nothing else, just for fun, even if you don't need it. It's just so cool.
0: I'm really surprised you didn't mention WebStorm as your tip of the week.
2: Uh, That's coming. I have too many tips. Uh, All right.
0: (laughs) All right. So, uh, you know, I love Git, right? We've kind of gone over this one before. It wasn't Subversion? Uh, You know, surprisingly, (laughs) it wasn't. So... Um, so here's another get tip for you. Let's say the scenario is that you committed something. Okay. And you, you know what you want to search for, right? But you don't know how. And when I say that you want to search for, I don't mean that you want to search your commit message you know, the, the law, the message log, or the, the log for what the commit message was, you want to actually search the content of the commits, right? So some file has some, you know, text in it, foobar, that you want to go searching for, right? So um, let's let's say that you you want to search for foobar from those files. You could say git space grep space minus e space, and then in single quotes, whatever text you want to search for space dollar sign and then in parentheses get space rev dash list space dash dash all and then space dash dash max count dash i'm sorry that's meant max dash count and then let's say equal 500 right so that's the end of your parentheses there and you have to memorize this. There'll be a test. Right, there's going to be later. a test. Yeah. This will <laughs> so, not be in the show notes. You what? are screwed. <laughs> Why Rewind, would you do that? That's, that's so it. wrong. <laughs> so, so again, what this is doing here, right? The first portion of this is doing a grep and then you're pass you're specifying some text here and you're using the dash E is going to be necessary for strings that might begin with a dash, right? So, you know, that's, it's just safe. It's not going to hurt anything if you added it, uh, for other strings, but you know, it's definitely going to help you for strings that do begin with a dash. You're going to need that in there. And then the quoting the string isn't technically necessary, but it's definitely a good practice to go ahead and do. And especially these are, you know, going to be handy if you were going to bake this into a script that you might use for some other purpose. Right. And then. You know, inside of, th- Then the next thing we did was inside of that, there was another command that we did, which was the git rev list uh, dash 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 all dash dash max count. And technically, the dash dash max count isn't necessary. However, if you have uh, if your rev list is too long, right, if, that, if that's going to return back too many, then what's going to happen is you'll get back an error that'll say argument list too long. And so or you might get an error that says bad file number it'll be one of those two and that's why if you go ahead and just specify your max count uh, it'll you know help you out if to limit that rev that uh, list of uh, commits that you're going to go back and, and search content through right but it'll return back every commit that has that text in it where that pattern is found right and that might be depending on whatever you know how uh, if you're not specific enough it might return back a lot but um if you're using like uh from command line uh within like let's say the git command line within os10 right you know it'll go ahead and um highlight in a different color like mine's doing it in red uh the pattern you know showing you like this is the pattern that i found in this in this commit so it'll give you back the commit id where it found it and then the file that it found it and then the actual string of text that was matched. So I thought that was a really helpful um, commit or uh, command that I've used in the past when I was like looking for a very specific, like, I know that this used to have this particular class name or string or whatever it was that I was searching for.
1: Where is that? So you're actually searching the changed code? Yes, you're right?
0: actually searching the contents of the commit, not because the message the of the messages commit. messages
1: are basically worthless, right?
0: Well, no, I wouldn't say commit messages were worthless. And oh by the way, that's actually a pretty good one too, making your commit messages good. Cause uh oh, who was it that sent us uh the the sound the the tag cloud forget? Uh was oh, it Techies Techies Yeah, that's Techie Andy?
1: Yeah, Andy. Yeah, it was yeah. Andy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sent us the um and we already tweeted it, but we can include that again in the show notes, uh, a link to that. Um where he was making his commit messages. Um he was basically would you say that he he was he was structuring his commit messages into a particular format right to where uh, one portion of the format was specifying you know how risky this change was yeah. one was specifying like what particular ticket or storyline is this working is this part of and i forget what the other part of the structure was but basically then he could he had a, a tag cloud uh, plugin that he was using that would visualize and you could see like here's all the commits that might be for a particular story or ticket here's all the commits that we deem risky right you know it, it was a very interesting use of uh, your commit messages but the the what i was talking about was not going was not searching your commit messages it's actually searching the
1: contents of the commit
0: the code the code. Yeah,
1: I was just kidding. I was just imagining like trying to look for something and looking through all these messages like Friday 5 o'clock or whatever, you know. <laughs> uh,
2: all right. That brings us to you, Joe.
1: Yes. All right. So I uh, heard from Brett at WeWet.com and uh, he's got a really cool business where you can buy website themes, but they're specific to .NET, right? So, rather than going a theme, buying a theme off, say, like Theme Force or something, and then taking it and trying to kind of main, you know, get that into a MVC project or whatever, you buy these and they're already set up for you. So, it's just download, then double click the solution, and go. So, uh, I am all about lowering the bar to innovation and getting stuff done. So, that's really nice. So, wewet.com, W I W E T.com. Yeah, (laughs) and they integrate (laughs) so nicely into Visual Studio. I don't know
0: if you've already seen this. Yeah. if you played around with it, you basically uh, install it like a, it was a, a NuGet package, but then from within, if you go to f- within Visual Studio, do File, New, Project, right? It would show up as one of the available, um, uh, you know, canned kind of, of of packages that you create and it would go ahead and stub everything out for you. Hey, hey Joe, yeah, really nice. I think
2: you meant lowering, lowering the barrier to innovation not lower the,
1: the bar oh man it's getting late
2: Well you said that i was like well that's interesting let's make all our apps suck more yeah. <laughs> i'm all for it how did i miss
1: that <laughs> lowering the innovation bar <laughs>
2: yeah dude i love that that's actually what our tagline should be
1: <laughs> no god no yeah oh, god. we with t-shirts that say that that's what i need
2: oh that, that was awesome oh man yeah so uh, we also wanted to throw in one, uh, from Matthew Watkins who sent us an email and this one's kind of cool. It's a, uh, there is an open source pro, uh, open source, uh, program called auto hotkey that, that you can basically map hotkeys on your keyboard. And I, I don't know if he was clear whether or not it was windows or, or Mac or what, but so Basically, he's got something crazy like, you know, he does he does something in Visual Studio and he wants to commit that change. You know, the way that outlaw and I operate is we would then switch over to a command window. We would do a get status. We would, you know, there's this whole string of things to get that commit. Well, you know, he got tired of doing that. So he mapped this hotkey. To where basically he hits this thing, it automatically switches over to his bash terminal. It automatically runs the, the commands to actually do this commit. So it's literally almost like a macro runner for, for your
0: hotkeys. You, you know what this reminded me of when, when we read this was, uh, I forget who mentioned it. Maybe Joe will remember because this came up before where someone was using a gaming mouse that had all the programmable oh, yes. buttons on it. And they were programming the functions of the gaming mouse so that they could just click that one button and it would do, you know, whatever the action Ridiculous was. Macros. So like, You know, builds in, in Visual Studio or, you know, I don't know, whatever.
2: Yeah, it, it's very much like that. And I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Like, so this
0: was, a, this was a different version of that except without the hardware requirement.
2: Yep, this is just software that you can download and use. Just map it to whatever. Oh, he, he is using Windows. So he said currently he's using Windows Key Plus G. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty cool stuff. I've not used it yet, but, uh, it's something I will probably check out and it is open source and it's out there so you can go grab it. We'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, just wrapping up the show, I promise we discussed promises and, we did. and uh, subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and more using your favorite podcast app be sure to give us a review on itunes stitcher we really appreciate it throw some love out on reddit too or stack overflow we we really do uh, enjoy finding that and really appreciate it when we see it or heart us on soundcloud i think that's what it is so <laughs> yeah
2: yeah we have all Boy, these that, places of all the ones you picked <laughs>
0: Great. Good thing it was a heart.
2: (laughs) So uh, also contact us with a question or topic. Leave your name, preferred method of shout-out, whether that's website, Twitter, whatever. We'll mention you on the podcast. Definitely go visit us at www.codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussions, and more.
1: And you can send us your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And uh, make sure to uh, visit us on Twitter at Coding Blocks or uh, check out Facebook slash Coding Blocks. Uh, it's blowing up on Facebook lately. It's crazy. It's wild. It, it's, check it out. Yeah. That's, it's like 100 followers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We've gone global. <laughs> okay. yeah, 100 followers. Have gone wild. <laughs> uh,
1: that's awesome. I'm going to go post there right now.
0: uh yeah.